I've had the privilege of being in and around banking for more than 50 years. Lots of changes during that time. We've gone from ledgers to laptops, typewriters to technology. One thing, however, remains the same. Banking is a people business, and I'll be talking with those people that make banking great here on Jack Rats with Modern Bankers. Welcome to Jack Rants with Modern Bankers, brought to you by RELPRO and Vertical IQ. Each week I feature top voices in financial services, from bankers and consultants to best-selling authors and many more. The goal of this program is simple, to provide insights, success practices, and to bring new ideas to the table that you can use to maximize your results. I am thrilled today beyond belief to show you this brand new book, The Unsold Mindset. And my guests today are Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown, who are the co-authors of this amazing book. Let's start with Colin. He earned a BA from UC Santa Barbara. He's an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at the Marshall School of Business at University of Southern California. When he's not traveling internationally to talk about these concepts from this great book, he serves as SVP and General Manager of Chegg Incorporated. Let's talk about Garrett now. Garrett sports a BS in Business Administration from USC. He earned a law degree from Pepperdine. He is also, hmm, surprising, and they'll talk about this, he's also an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship at the Marshall School of Business at USC. Yeah, they do. They teach this class together, and it's a uh, We're going to talk about that on the show today. He's the founder and chief revenue officer of Agency 18. This interview was rollicking. It was such fun with Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown on Jack Rants with Modern Bankers. Here we go. So as I mentioned to you, I I found I'm, I'm such a geek on LinkedIn. I'm on all the time. And I found this really great article about these two guys. And I had to read this book. I, I just had to do it. And because I've trained so many bankers and I thought, okay, there's nothing new, but there is a lot new. And today we're going to talk about the unsold mindset with uh, Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown. Welcome guys. Glad to be Thank here. You. Thanks for having us. I got to so, say, Jack, I still love when, when people hold up the book like that, I love to watch Colin's eyes because I just see the happiness, the, the little glow in his eyes when he sees that book. It's my favorite part of that. <laughs> I keep them around. Like, you know, there's like a couple there. There's like a couple like in the kitchen. There's a couple in the living room. <laughs> I just like, I just, I just, I just followed it. And the happiness follows wherever those books are. Yeah. No, I, we wrote a book in 2008 about prospecting and I still, I have three copies left and it, it's still fun to go back and look at it. Um, so I do want to talk about this and the process and how this all worked. But we were talking before we uh, started recording about about all the good things that, that that's gone on. Tell me something good, each of you. What's going on good in your lives? Mm, my morning was getting my seven-year-old ready for graduation of first grade. And uh, and then when he walks the stage, they play Green Day, Time of My Life, mm. and uh, the tears. Like you don't like you couldn't imagine. Like I, I could not imagine my reaction. So 
that is something really good. Like I had happy tears this morning um, for my baby, my firstborn baby boy graduating first grade. Wow. That's, That's fantastic. Fun. That's fantastic. And time goes by so fast. And I can tell you with someone that, that has two 13 year old grandchildren and our kids have, have grown up, you got to take every day and, and just relish that because time goes by so fast, as you know, because he was just a baby two days ago. And now all of a sudden he's graduating first grade. Oh, that's wonderful. Um, Garrett, what's going on with you? I had a very similar experience, except the song wasn't uh, time of your life. The song was Taylor Swift, Don't Grow Up. And uh, for a lot, if you've read the book or you follow us on social media, you know that that hits me for a couple of different reasons, not just because of how much I love my kids and don't want them to grow up, but because of how much I love Taylor Swift as well. So um, definitely on the family front, that is that is things that are making us happy. And then on on the work and career front, it's it's us being able to have conversations like this and share our message and our book and just the the things that we think are interesting with with strangers every single day. That's been such a fun part of this journey for me. Mm-hmm. So sales mindset for entrepreneurs. It's a it's a course that you teach. I'd love to know uh, how it got started and tell us a little bit about that. You teach it at USC uh, mm-hmm. and uh, you both teach it together, which I think would be absolutely fabulous to to watch you guys having heard you on other podcasts before. So tell us about this sales mindset for entrepreneurs class. It's the best part of our week. Garrett and I, we were at a software security identity access management company and helped it um, grow to to an acquisition by Google. And when that happened, you would think that the startup community would have been, you know, the community that gravitated towards us because we were in LA. It wasn't this big SaaS community back then, um, or maybe not even now. And instead of just the startup community, which really did, they showed up in so many valuable ways, academia showed up. And like we were being asked to like guest lecture at all of these universities and there was something about, I, I always say, like, I think that they just thought that the way that, that we worked was palatable because sales was such a scary word. So it wasn't being taught. But we were telling people, we've, we've been in the enterprise. We're in the workplace. We're seeing all the new entrants that are coming from college. They don't know how to chase their dreams. They don't know how to move people. Like they can't change the world. They can't change your world. They can't change the company's world because no one's teaching them how to move people or that moving people was icky. And so after a bunch of guest lectures, Garrett and I, um, you know, we sat down and we took it serious and USC was like, let's do this permanently. And um, and we taught sales mindset for entrepreneurs for, this is coming on like the 11th semester. Um, a third of the class shows up because they want to learn how to sell ideas. A third of the class show up because they want to learn how to sell themselves third of the class they're the crazy ones like us they want to sell products and services <laughs> and then uh and then the book deal came and the class got really popular probably not because of one of us but both of us and the fact that people can see themselves in between us if not in one of us and and that coupled with what we were talking about harper collins they were amazing and they were like this book has not been written yet this course um has not been taught yet and so Sort of the book was based on the curriculum. Garrett, I'm going to stop talking and you can pick up and talk <laughs> about the actual journey of writing the book. But I just took you from Garrett and I falling in love at, you know, at a startup all the way to 
um, where to signing a book deal <laughs> and then I'll hand the mic to, to <laughs> no, I have nothing to add. He asked about the class and he got, he got <laughs> a whole lecture on, on our history. <laughs> Jack. It's so funny because like we talk so much about like, don't wait to speak, like, listen, you know, like, don't be the person that's waiting to speak, actually listen. And I have been waiting to talk to you for so long. Like people should know like your LinkedIn message, like how authentic and raw, like you, uh, we, we can talk about it later. But anyways, that's the point right. is I've been excited to talk to you. And so that's probably just longer than Garrett would have liked that to be. Oh, thank you so much. That's oh, very nice. That's very yeah. nice. Garrett, what's your take on this class? I agree 100% that it is our favorite part of the week. It is, you know, we, we, it's called sales mindset for entrepreneurs. It is the only sales mindset class that we know of in all of, of higher education and we created all of the curriculum based on the things that we love to talk about. And I think, you know, Colin mentioned it's become a popular class. We think a, a lot of it has to do with just people are looking for sales education, but they don't want to just be taught how to build rapport and overcome objections and, and go for the close. And so we talk a lot about mindset and I, we're going to talk about it for the rest of this conversation. But the biggest compliment that we get every semester it, as we read our professor reviews, somebody always says something along the lines of, I thought this was a sales class, but it's actually a life class. And that means everything to us because we're not just talking about selling. We're talking about the way that you think about yourself, about the world, about the people around you. And that's what we hope our book in, is bringing across as well. It's, it's not just about selling and sales. It's about you as a person. And so that's why I think it's so much fun for us to teach that because when you get 19, 20, 21 year olds who have never heard these concepts before and don't really realize yet how big a role they're going to play in their lives and we get to be the ones that show them that really special to us. It's it's just so neat that you did so many interviews with people who are and aren't in sales. And I believe one of them was Stanley uh, McChrystal, was it? Mm -hmm. uh, and, yeah, and so you, you've got general, general and, and you've got so many stories that you heard from different people. The book comes out in February of 2023. I got to believe your lives have changed pretty significantly since then. What's gone on since February of 2023 in, in your world? It's been really complex. It's been this most, it's been the most amazing whirlwind that I think either of us expected because, you know, Garrett said something really important earlier. He said that people enter through the book through like a professional development intent and they exit through a personal development sort of understanding of it because if we're saying everyone sells at any given moment, and it's not a yucky thing, then we're sort of saying, okay, so living and selling are something that are sort of done interchangeably, right? So if we're talking about selling authentically, or are you selling as your authentic self? The question is like, are you living as your authentic self? And that's where people go. We don't take them there. But you know, that that's, so we were talking to, we, we, we went out and interviewed a bunch of great salespeople by profession. And we were like, tell us why you're good. And then tell us who the greatest salesperson is, you know. And so it got interesting when we started to see a pattern, which became sort of the thesis for the whole book, which was not one sales professional gave us like the title of the person that the greatest salesperson they know. None of the people that they were giving us were salespeople. 
Like they all, they were lawyers, they were doctors, they were like ice cream shop owners in rural Iowa. They were, they were mm-hmm. bankers. They were in real, like, but none of them were what you were thinking of when you, you know, we, We'll talk to the number one sales professional at um, at a vegan food company, and we're like, "Who's the greatest salesperson you know?" And he'll say, "John Wexler, like the GM of uh, Adidas, and like you know the just like someone completely off who you would think of as a salesperson." And then you ask him, and then he talks about someone in like Web 3.0, like Nick Adler, who's like creative and was a a manager of Snoop Dogg at one point in his career. Nick, who's the greatest salesperson you know? Snoop Dogg. Then we talked to Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg, who's the greatest salesperson you know? His mom. And so it's like we started to see this like very weird pattern that these great salespeople thought exactly the same almost. Like the outcome of their thoughts were different, but how they were thinking about it was all the same. They were just unsold on who they were supposed to be as a rapper, as a lawyer, as a salesperson. And, and when you dug under the hood, what you saw was hyper-authenticity, hyper-vulnerability, the ability naturally, most of them didn't even know that they were intentionally doing it, the ability to display something inside of you that most of us are taught to intentionally hide. Like that's what these people were doing. And it, it just, you know, it was the craziest journey and it's, it's every day it becomes even crazier. I want to ask you, Garrett, um, I have this formula. As I've been talking to you guys and I've been listening to you on podcasts, um, uh, two plus plus one uh, equals two. Um, And and what I mean by that is that you have your two guys that have really become one, but you're still two different personalities. How are audiences, because I, I understand you go out together when you speak, and I, th- I think that would be just a hoot. How, what are, re, what are audiences, re, when you talk about the book and you talk about some of the stories, what are they reacting to? What, what are you hearing? What are they laughing about? What are they going mm. ah, and doing amens about? Yeah, I, I will answer that question directly. But the real answer, in, in all honesty, is that it's different every single time. And I think that part of the the secret weapon of having two of us up there, two people who are so different, you know, Colin is emotional and I am logical. And we we will come at the same point from very different angles. And Colin just mentioned earlier that, you know, people will see themselves somewhere in between us. The fact that we're so different and that we get to go up there on stage together gives us the ability to just have a conversation really with each other and with the audience. And so it's really different every time. So if we're in an audience full of bankers, the conversation and the things that land are probably going to be different than if we're in an audience full of real estate professionals or, you know, executives or something like that. So it really, it it absolutely depends on the audience. And because there's two of us, it gives us the ability to kind of dance around and do different things every time to find what's going to land. Now, the, the more direct answer, there are definitely specific things that people love to bring up. And there, there's, you know, the concept of intentional ignorance is, is one that people tend to gravitate towards. Because when we co- we come in and we tell people, hey, you know, you don't necessarily have to know every little thing about the the job that you do or the product that you're selling. You can actually find a way to focus on the stuff that you care about, that you're passionate about, that you're knowledgeable about, and leave some of the rest out and literally ignore it and bring other people in to handle that. Those types of of, of um, lessons 
definitely, regardless of the audience that we're in front of, the light bulb goes off and it's always fun for us to share those. Um, but but the real answer is that it's different every time. And we don't, when we're on stage together, we don't use slides. We don't have a set presentation. We do, it's different every single time. And certainly we get up there and we know what we, we want to say and we have a plan. But if we see the audience leaning in on something, we'll dig deeper on that. And if we see them going, oh, you know, this audience maybe doesn't care as much about X, we're going to go to Y. Uh, we get to do that too. So it's a lot of fun. You you speak to a lot of different audiences uh, mm -hmm. and you mentioned banking, which of course is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I'm just curious, you probably talk to large conventions where a lot of bank executives go, et cetera. And you start talking about the unsold mindset and, and they must implode. I mean, how, do they, how are bankers reacting to this whole concept? Because it is fantastic like a breath of fresh air you know you know but you know what we hear a lot in the banking community is uh <clears throat> i didn't know why i was so good until listening to you and you being able to put words behind what i've done every day for the last 36 years like garrett just talked about like intentional ignorance which is you know the ability to look at your job and before you can be intelligent enough to ignore the parts of your job that don't authentically give you passion, you would first have to isolate the parts of the job that you love so much you basically do for free. Right. So there are, you know, there are people, especially in the banking community, that have leaned in to the to their strengths, the areas that they love, the relationships, the community, right? The leadership, the uh the uh, not even from an altruistic perspective. It could be from any perspective, but they lean in to what they love doing. And, you know, you'll hear that, like, it's intentional ignorance. You know, like I hired someone that loves doing what I hate doing. I didn't know what that was, but it's worked really well for me to, you know, to not be the smartest person in the room. I didn't know what that was. I didn't realize, like, my superpower was asking questions that I actually want to know the answers to while everybody else is just asking questions that they know they're supposed to. You know, those sorts of conversations that give us so much energy. And it's not just a banking community, but we spend a lot of time in the banking community. And so these are these are common themes we're really proud of. I, I love the, the quote that you said, and I won't exactly say it right. It's like 20% of the people are hitting their sales numbers. 80% are trying to be like the 20% and the 20% are just being themselves. And, and that that's not a direct quote, but it's, it's paraphrased from the book. And, and it does go right to authenticity. Uh, my friend, Larry Levine, and uh, I'm, I'm sure you know Larry, and maybe have even been on his show, when he wrote Selling from the Heart, I mean, that really is, is what it is. How, you're out trying to hit your, th this is what really gets bankers, I think. You're out trying to be authentic, but yet you have goals to, to hit, and you don't want to come back to the bank and say, you know, I was authentic five times today because the, the board of directors doesn't care about that. They really care right. about how many loans did you book there? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you square the, that circle? Mm. We're always very clear. We, we, we both have sold for a long time. We have, we have carried a bag and we have sold products and we've had quotas over our head. And we know that when your back's against the wall, it is hard to just, you know, hear the words be authentic and be yourself and and so that that is 100% not what we preach and what we uh, what, what we are trying to get across with the book is like oh just just be authentic and everything's going to be great 
what we have found, and we have backed it up with scientific research and anecdotal evidence and everything in between, is that in the long run, the people who don't just do what they're quote unquote supposed to do, and the people that take the authentic route and the honest and the ethical route, they last. Like you can you can succeed in the short run by putting on a persona and by saying the thing that you need to say to, to get a deal done or to make something happen. But in the long run, to be truly successful and, and maybe more importantly, fulfilled, we know for a fact that that authenticity and, and figuring out what you are comfortable with, the way that you want to come across, asking questions that you actually want to know the answers to, that's going to change the way that you show up in conversations and it's going to change the results. Like the, Well, a line that we say often, and, and, and I'll continue to say it because it's important, is think about how different you sound talking to somebody that you're genuinely and authentically excited to talk to than if it's just another name on a list of people that you have to call that day. That conversation sounds different. And of course, over time, you're going to be more successful having conversations that sound like that. So that's interesting. And as we, as you've been talking, one of the things I've been thinking about is we're really talking about selling a product or a solution or something along those lines. But I think if I'm interviewing for a job, mm. I'm on a sales call. And I think if I read this book, I can really get a good sense of authenticity. And I love the intentional ignorance because if somebody says to me, how would you do this? You can't say, I don't know every time. You might say, let me think about that for a second versus trying to give some pat answer. Mm. Have you seen in your classes or in speeches or in, in conversations with people that people are using this to interview for jobs? Can you just keep that up the entire time? <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm, 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 I'm thinking I'm old. I don't think I can hold it. That I'm sorry. I'm like, if they look close, they'll see the matte finish. That's like what's going on in my head. Watching. <laughs> um, I think you're, um, you're touching on why we wrote this book, right? Like we, we wrote this book because people thought that sales was a yucky word. So if you were ever in a selling situation, you were either going to be yucky, which you didn't want to do. So you would then pretend to be someone that you actually weren't. So you would try to be like the best version of yourself. You know, so like if you were interviewing for a job, right? You were you're selling yourself. Now you are not cognizant that the word is selling, but you do feel very uncomfortable. It's a selling situation. And so you have you have this immediate reaction, which is okay, let me try to be the best version of myself in this interview, right? Because it's a selling situation and you don't, no one ever talked to you about selling, right? So it's either yucky or perfect. No one told you that perfect actually equates to yucky. That people will say no to you because you're right, right? Like that's what this book represents is the, the idea that people would rather employ a learner than a knower. Like you will get credit for going out and fighting for your customer and finding answers more often than you will for always having the answers. Like people will try to show up and be so perfect. And the, the easiest way to that, that we sort of have synthesized this is that who people expect you are and who people hope you are are not always the same person. I get, as a banker, as an as a as a student that's trying to get an internship, as someone you know at a that's a frontline worker that's trying to get promoted, you you expect this person to be proficient at their job and really good and um, intelligent and all those things, right? And buttoned up and, you know, 
but you hope you hope they're like you like that's who like right people like people like themselves like they hope you might expect you to be all those things but they hope you're like you like i hope that the person that i'm talking to is just like me which means imperfect you want to look at a great salesperson, it's the person that's racing to show you how imperfect they are as fast as possible. Like there's that in the book, I talk about this idea of um when I was a when I was a fiance, when my wife was my fiance, I would show up to meetings late because we would have a lot of wedding planning conversations. And I and I would show up to the meetings and I, I didn't, there was no strategy behind this. I would just say, I am sorry for being late. I was talking to my fiance, she's a big wedding planner. And today was tulips versus it doesn't matter, right? <laughs> the point is, I'm sorry, <laughs> but immediately, you know, the reactions were always, "Colin, don't worry about it. It's going to get way easier on your second marriage." Like that's a quote. Colin, don't worry about it. You know, I mean, I've been married for 30 years. Happy wife, happy life. Like it was a immediate vibe. Like immediately, it took me to be authentic for them to see themselves in me. We have nothing in common except that we both are in love right? Or have been. And then I see myself in them. So now I'm talking to them. I'm giving myself permission to ask questions that I really want all the answers to that have nothing to do with banking, right? And they start like answering questions they've never heard before because I'm a salesperson that cares differently than everybody else because I'm not just extracting value. So I might care enough to ask such a good question that it it adds value, which is a rare thing, by the way. Like whoever's listening, like if you're a great salesperson, like tell me how you can add value by asking a question because most of us are taking every time we ask questions. So anyways, you know, that's just the the whole book is you're talking about interviewing and I'm just using that as like a microcosm for it's everything. Like you, you cannot escape selling and it's a beautiful thing. And you can, it, sorry, Garrett, I'm going to say this one thing and I promise I'm going to shut up. When we ask our audiences who's the greatest salesperson they can think of, the top two answers are Steve Jobs and Martin Luther King Jr. Thank God for sales. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I was going to touch on the on the interview thing because you're, you're really astute to pick up on that, Jack. One of the one of the units in our class every semester is interviewing. Because all of these students that are in our class, they either want to get a job, so they're going to be interviewing for jobs, or they want to be entrepreneurs and they're going to be interviewing other people. So we spend a lot of time talking about interviewing. And first thing we do, which I don't think anybody listening to this needs us to do it, is, is frame it that an interview is a sales conversation. Somebody is buying you as a human being and as an employee or, or not, and you're selling yourself and, and your skill set and, and all of that. And so it, it ends up becoming one of the most popular um, courses during the semester, because we get to talk about the things that Colin's talking about, like impactful questions and which we talk about in the book and showing your work, which we talk about in the book, which is if you, you know, you remember back in high school math class where you didn't just get credit for the answer, you had to actually show how you got that answer. And we talk about how great salespeople, how great sellers in conversations like interviews are really good at showing their work and saying, you know, I, I'm nervous about this interview because I, this is a company that I'm really excited about. I've always wanted to work at a company like this. Like giving yourself permission to share that part out loud and show the thought process that's going into the answers in an interview is exactly what great sellers do during a, a, a typical sales conversation about a product or service. So uh, you, you picking up on that is great, and it, and it, it's evidenced by the fact that it's just one of one of our favorite sessions to teach, and I think one of our students' favorite sessions to learn. Uh, during each semester when we talk about interviewing. 
Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting. If I if if I'm looking for a job or if I'm looking to try to sell somebody on a relationship, I I love the intentional ignorance because it allows me to also see, are you a fit for me? Mm-hmm. And and it, and it, instead of trying to sell myself to you. It's almost like, okay, let me listen a little bit more. Let me ask a question. Let me say, I don't know. And let me see how people react. What I always say to bankers is you never make a bad loan until it goes on the books. And and you never make a mistake in, in going to a company as an employee until you stay say yes. And so you've, I, I think this whole thing is, is so important in the interviewing process. Charlie Green once told me, um, be yourself. Everyone else is taken. And yours is one of the top three books that I've read on this subject. The Trusted Advisor, Charlie wrote it 20 years ago, 21 years ago now. Larry Levine's book is very authentic and, and yours. And one of the reasons I love your book, and as my wife was going through the chapter, she goes, oh, oh look, this is you, this is you. Mm-hmm. And I said, what, what do you mean? And she says, you always have said you live in a world, we live in a world of abundance. In one of your chapters, you talk about this world of abundance. And I think in the unsold mindset, that's so powerful because if I don't earn a relationship, there's always others. And that allows me to be more of myself on an interview versus trying to force something in and making a sale. Hmm. I, I, I'm looking at Garrett. I, we, every interview is different. So I just I, I like where you've gravitated towards in the book. It's awesome. Um, I was just having a, a business meeting with someone and they brought up abundance and I had short sleeves on and I like started showing off my tattoos. And I, at some point I stopped and I was like, it's probably is not HR compliant. Let me stop. But like, I have the words, I have abundance like on me, you know, like uh, because it has changed my life personally, professionally, in the context of this conversation in the book, like we're talking about like these, these like really great salespeople, like forget the tactics, how good they are. Like forget the right side of the equal sign. Just look at the left side of the equal sign. And what you'll find is that they see opportunities where nobody else even looks. And that is abundanza, right? That is abundance for, there's a, a story, abundanza Italian for, um, abundance. There's a story, and we talk about this in every keynote. There's a story in the book about one of our top sellers at Bidium came into um, my office and said, hey, the rookie that you just hired is hoarding leads. He's, you know, he's like, he's every, he's looking at in all the big areas like San Francisco, New York. And I come in in the morning and there's nothing in San Francisco. There's no leads, right? There's nothing to even prospect into. They're all under his name. And I leave at night. He's prospecting in Australia because they're up, right? And like all of Sydney is basically taken. And he's like, look, you better, like, you got to figure this out. And this is my number one hitter. So I'm like, for sure, we're going to figure this out. I call the rookie into the office and I'm like, hey, sit down. And then we've got this like nice, like brown, distressed restoration hardware couch. And I go, look, I want to talk to you about something. He sits down on the couch. And as I open my mouth, he starts like rubbing his tuchus back and forth on the couch. And which you don't get to see me rub my butt in the book. (laughs) Everyone. And I go, and I stop. and I go, you okay? And he's just like, yeah, this is just such a, such a nice couch. I'm like, all right. So look, here's what I want to talk to you about. 
open my mouth again. He stands up, starts flipping over couch cushions, finds the tag, flips him down, sits on the couch, opens up his laptop like I'm not even in front of him, starts searching this company's name, looks up at me like in awe. And he's like, they have 5,000 employees. Told me like where they're located, like looked them up on LinkedIn. And he's like, do you care if I prospect into them after this? And I go, absolutely not. You feel free. Closes his laptop, puts it aside. He's like, okay, what do you want to talk about? And I looked him dead in his eyes and I was like, absolutely nothing. <laughs> because you found deals in couch cushions. Like I was like, this was a conversation from someone who could not find deals anywhere. And this guy's finding deals in couch cushions. I mean, this guy, he would drive to Vegas probably more often than any of us should. He would drive to Vegas and take pictures of big ribs with like companies' names on the side of them that you'd never even think of and with the firmographic information. You know, like Acme Corp, right? 6,000 employees, Minneapolis, like heart, smiley face. I, he could have been the worst salesperson on the planet. With that mindset, he's always going to win. And that guy was the number one seller at the company until the time that the company got acquired. That's that's abundance. And yeah. that's not and like that's the best part of our job. Like, you know, like imagine teaching that to a college kid for the first time who's never heard of the concept of abundance versus scarcity. Doesn't matter if we're talking about lead generation. That's the first time they've ever heard it. So the, when we say this is the best part of our job, like, or the best part of our week, it's because of that. Yeah. And, and I'll, Garrett, as I was thinking about just that thing, with all the stuff that's going on in our country, not so good, your 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 chapter about pathological opt, optimism really hit me because of what I've gone through. But beyond that, I mean, I wake up every day, go, Jesus, this is just a hell of a day, you know. Um, but pathological optimism really struck a chord with me. You've got to have some stories, uh, Garrett, about pathological optimism. I didn't realize I was muted. Most of my pathological optimism stories are about my wonderful partner, Colin, here, because <laughs> he... <laughs> He is the origin of this of this term, pathological optimism. And and you know, for for somebody like me who that might not always be my default. Now I think people who know me laugh at me when I say and when Colin and I talk about this, because they're like, you're really optimistic. And I'm like, yeah, but Colin. <laughs> so so compared to the two of us, I'm a little bit more realistic or even pessimistic, depending on the day of the week. And you know, Pathological optimism, the one thing that that's really important for us to say is that we don't mean toxic positivity. You know, that that's a, a buzz phrase that wow. gets a lot of press. We're not saying, hey, look at the bright side, be an optimist. You're going to sell more. Your life's going to be better. But what we do know is that these great sellers, whatever their title is, all of the folks that we interviewed it, leading up to the book, all of the most successful people we know, they are all at the end of the day. 100% confident in their souls that no matter how bad today is or the week is or even the quarter is, that eventually things are going to come out up and to the right. And that's the only way that they're able to show up and have conversations like the ones we're talking about, where you're enthusiastic and excited and looking for the good in the people that you're talking to. The only way to do that is if you know that even if things aren't great right now, eventually they're going to be good. Mm. It sounds woo-woo. It sounds Mm. But it's it's uh we call it we call it the best part of the movie. You'll yeah, I'm sure you'll appreciate that. It, you typically, you know, you don't go to you don't pay 
a hundred dollars for two movie tickets and a pack of Sour Patch Kids to go see the ending or the beginning. Right? The, you go for the middle, for the ups, the downs, for the highs, the lows. And a lot of times what we don't realize, I think, this, or for sure our students don't. You know, I think with age, emotional intelligence obviously gets heightened. But they don't realize that they're probably in the best part of the movie and they don't know it. Like they won't know it until they're looking back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so anyways, I think that's yeah. special. That's true. And, and and as we were talking about your seven-year-old, that's very true. Um, and, and it's, I'll tell you, I, you know, in 50 years of marriage, when the day we got married, my wife said, what's we're riding in the car. We're going to go to um, our, our honeymoon night. And then we're going to, we're going to Miami the next day. I'll tell you this quick story. So go to Miami because my parents went there. Uh, and then we fly back to Disney World Disney World for a dollar on Eastern Airlines. Two dollars cost us. It was a Quonset hut. We stayed at the Contemporary Hotel. So we're riding to the, uh, to the place for our honeymoon, the hotel. And she looks at me and she says, okay, I want to be married to you for a long time. And I said, okay. She goes, tell me one thing that we should do every day. And I said, laugh. And every day when we get up, we laugh at something. She laughs at me more than anything else, but we <laughs> laugh. And, and, and here's my point. I believe, and I don't know if you want to comment on this or if you've heard this. I believe in order to be a pathological optimist, you have to be a, have to have a pathological support person that, that keeps you up, helps keep you optimistic, the environment. Because I know if I have a bad day or we have a crossword or or she's not feeling well or I'm not, it's hard to get to the desk or get up and do a speech, et cetera. I don't know if any of the stories talked about that support person that you yeah. need. Um, talk about it, that. It's such a great point. We talk a lot in a variety of contexts about building an infrastructure around you to allow yourself to to live these elements of the unsold mindset. So for intentional ignorance, that might mean like we talked about bringing some bringing people into your circle who are passionate about the things that you're not passionate about. And so from a from a an optimism standpoint or even from a pathological optimism standpoint, you are certainly not going to be worse off if you have somebody in your corner who is going to remind you uh, you know, to look for the good when things aren't going so great. So I, I think I agree with you. I don't know that it's a requirement. I think you could drop Colin in a desert and he is so dang pathologically optimistic that he probably doesn't even need me there to remind him of anything. But for the most part, and in general, wh- why not? Why not surround yourself with people who are and create that infrastructure of people and resources that are going to support you on the on the parts and the times where you're going to need it? Yeah, that's during the uh, during the interview process, we We'd certainly met people that made me feel the way that Garrett feels about <laughs> optimism compared to me. Yeah, you know, like we interviewed Ryan Ferguson and he said he's been like a hit, he's been like top of leaderboard at every major company you can think of. And now like he's top of the leaderboard or at cert, and he's just he's incredible. They say he sells the unsellable. And so uh he makes me look like a pathological pessimist. Like this, like you, like you, like in the book, like we we we're talking to him. We're like yeah, we're asking him questions, and he says, and this is in the book. He says, every job I've ever had has been the best job I've ever had. And this is, you know, the same guy that 
is in the book um, being quoted for saying um, this was this was great. You know, why do you? Um, oh yeah, yeah. What's your secret? And and he goes, I don't have a secret. Like someone like gives me a lead, and I go and talk to him. I don't look up any of the data. And that that was huge for us. We were like, wait, why wouldn't you look up the firmographic information that's been given to you to help you sell this lead? He's like, why would I want to know where they're from? Like, I know, I know what the propensity is of the Northwest to buy versus the Northeast. He's like, like I'm going to show up differently before I've even met the people if I know where they're from. And and by the way, this is not this is not a person that says I am so self aware that I do not look at leads. He doesn't even know what his secret sauce is. Like he just knows like what he does. But what that actually is is like this heightened self awareness, not self confidence. Just self aware to know that like I'll treat someone different if I know where they're from. So I'm not going to. And he sells the quote unquote unsellables. You know. So th- I, this is why this is a mindset book and why it's a mindset class because it doesn't matter about what he says when he's thinking like that. I'll pick up on that point. You guys have redefined selling uh, in such a good way, but you talked about at the very beginning, objection handling and asking questions and things like that. If I'm a traditional sales trading company, you guys might be a bit of a threat to me because your process is so different. How how have you seen companies interweave the, the unsold mindset into traditional sales training. Yeah, we we are not in any way, shape, or form saying that the the fundamentals of selling, the the building rapport and the objection handling are not important. They absolutely are. But what we have seen and what we I, we, we sort of talked about earlier when you when you referenced the the quote in the book about how 20% of people in most organizations are the ones that are thriving while the other 80% are figuring it out. Our theory that 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 we believe deeply now is that the reason those 20% are great is because of how they consume information because we all have information the 20% and the 80% they all have in- access to those sales trainings to the to the fundamentals to the mindset trainings to anything else the same podcast the same books the same courses and the reason that the 20% are great is because instead of coming into those things reading them and saying okay I know this now I do this they they put it in they, they become learners and they're like okay how do i experiment with this how do i use what's authentic to me oh that that thing that that trainer taught me doesn't really work for me so i'm going to throw it out and they're constantly learning and growing and experimenting and that that learner mindset is why the 20% are great and the 80% are are they can copy them they can do the exact same thing that somebody in the 20% is doing and not get the same results and they're going to sit there and wonder why and maybe even worse they're going to blame the customer and say oh it must be them because I'm doing exactly what the guy at the top of the leaderboard is doing uh, but it's really just the difference between a learner and a knower and and bring it back to interviewing i mean like what are you interviewing for out of college like you're interviewing for coachability optimism competitiveness, like all of the mindset shit, pardon my French, all the mindset stuff that is so hard to teach. I could teach you the ins and outs and features and benefits of any, you know, vertical, but it's really hard to teach someone how to be self-aware. I mean, it'll take a long time. So you you think about like that conversation in the context of what Garrett was just saying, like that, like we're, we're talking about, we're talking about someone it doesn't matter if you've taught them how to overcome objections if they're not coachable if if right if they don't have the right mindset if they if they can't see leads anywhere they can't find opportunities anywhere who cares 
if they know how to do a third party story correctly. You know what I mean? That, but the, the inverse is actually not true. Like you could, you could throw somebody out there with a really great mindset and have zero technique on how to overcome an objection. But just someone that's like super curious or super creative or like loves like the people that they're talking to. Like, so anyways, I'm belaboring the point, but. A couple more questions. Uh, You you talked about coachability. Let me invent a new word called culturability. Here's the three of us are talking. Somebody buys this book. Here it is again. See, isn't it cool? Nice. Good call in. <laughs> I love it. Um, so, so the three of us are talking. Uh, I buy the book. I'm an individual producer. I go, yeah, this is, I've been looking for something like this. I can do this. I'm really good at it. But now I've got in a bank, I've got a couple hundred salespeople. I've got 20 branch managers. How do you get the culture to buy into this process? Hmm. I, I'll, I'll say what I always say, and then I'll pass it to Garrett to say something smarter than me. Um, Having a culture where people are getting paid to do what they love is one hell of a culture. Like a lot of us get paid to do what we're good at, but there's not a lot of us that get paid to do what we love. Ray Lewis, the football player, has this great quote that Garrett introduced to me. He says, uh, they pay me for what I do Monday to Saturday, but Sundays are free, right? Sundays are my pleasure. Yeah. So when you think about creating a culture, then you want to think about things like intentional ignorance, right? So that people understand, like at least can compartmentalize what they're getting paid to do versus what they're doing for free and start to like create the pathways to allow people to have the ability to do what they love and get paid to do it. And imagine a culture where like, I just talked to someone and I was like, what would you do for free? She was like, I would create PowerPoint presentations for free. My jaw dropped because you got to pay me a lot of money to do PowerPoint presentations. Imagine how great of a team I have if I do not want to do PowerPoint presentations and she would do them for free. So that's, that's my answer to culture. Interesting stuff. And I would say it's, that's why we're so passionate about mindset. You talked about, you asked about, are, are, are we a threat to traditional sales training? And the answer is no, we're a, we're a supplement to it. Because if you're not approaching it with the right mindset, then you're not going to put it into practice the right way anyway. And the same thing is true with culture. Culture, you know, you can, you can have all the perks. You can have the, you know, the free food and snacks and the pool table and whatever else. And you can call that culture. But if you don't have people thinking and, and approaching the problem that you're solving and the, the customers that you're helping in, in, in the same mindset, then the culture is not going to stick. So I think it's a, it's a big part of why mindset is so important to us. Wow. Yeah. And for those uh, bank managers out there, one hack that Garrett and I have found that works really well is um, if you want to create a culture of camaraderie, but also of competition, then tell your people that you do not promote from the top down, right? So like you don't look at someone and say, oh, you're a good performer. I'm going to pull you up. The only way that you get promoted, you know, at this branch is by the people around you pushing you up. 
And so, you know, you'll, you'll see it, it works where you'll have a one-on-one with someone who was struggling and they're doing well. And you ask them why, and they'll say, because Rebecca was telling me that I was asking horrible questions and offending people by asking leading questions and people were smelling it. And so I changed it and that was it. And that was my unlocking moment. And that's how Jessica gets promoted, you know, as opposed to like what everyone does, which is pulls from, you know, yeah. pulls from the top up. Um, you guys have been so generous with your time and I appreciate it. This time has gone so fast, but I got to ask you, you know, you've had such great success with, with this. It's amazing. Um, I, I got, what's next? I mean, you guys are so young. Your careers are really just starting. Um, what, what, where do you go from here? That is the big question, the existential question for us sometimes, but um, you know, we, the sky's the limit. We, if you read the conclusion of the book, you'll 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 learn some of the kind of secrets of what we're up to next. I'll leave that as a cliffhanger. But then, you know, we you mentioned earlier that we get to travel around often and speak to audiences across industries and across experience levels about the things that we're passionate about. We we would love to figure out ways to to scale that. And then someday when we, when our wives have recovered from the trauma of us uh, writing the first book, we might just go back to the lab and try to write one more. We, who knows? <laughs> we'll obviously do that. Hey, you know, I, I, I will say applying the unsold mindset has been such a, um, a gift, you know, like writing a book and getting a book deal and all that. Like you think that that's the gift, but the real gift is through thousands and thousands of pages you sort of become who you're writing about, right? Like, we let me just work. stop you there. Only 250 of those pages are in the book, so people. Don't oh right, 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 right. Find <laughs> War and Peace. <laughs> we threw a lot yeah, out. No, There's no, a lot on the cutting room floor. <laughs> we threw a lot out. But I just to answer your question. Like, what's next is is honestly like living this and applying this to to like what to what we do every day, what we want to do. You know, like the goals versus purpose chapter, the pathological optimism chapter, like we're out there in the real world doing things that we think are meaningful, right? Not not just self-promotion of the book, but things that we really care about. And to be able to apply the unsold mindset to that has been just a, a an experience all on its own. Yeah. So we're... Um, we're intentionally unsold. ignorant to what's going to happen. Well, <laughs> I, but I, I, I got to tell you, the unsold sales leader is is got to be something that you could dive into and, and really do well. Uh, you want to see these two guys live? I, I just I can't imagine not seeing these guys live. I got to find out where, where you guys are. How do people get a hold of you if they would like to see you uh, live together? Yeah, we are we are all over the place on the internet. You can you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Colin and Garrett. Um, we're at pretty active on LinkedIn as ourselves. Our website is ColinandGarrett.com. Um, and there you can sign up to get emails from us, which we're we're sending out regularly and having a lot of fun with. And on that on that website, there is a forum too, if you're interested in, you know, speaking and and workshops and that type of thing. So uh, easy to find. Love to hear from people who who hear us on these types of programs. Um, reach out anytime, and if we can help, we will. He's good. On this, guys. Thank you. This is this is a, a, a not, it's a game changer. It really is. And uh, you'll look back on your lives uh, at some point when you're 73 years old, 
and you're going to say, I'm really proud of this. You should be incredibly proud of this. Thank you both for being here today. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jack. We're glad to be here with you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Jack Rants with Modern Bankers with Colin Coggins and Garrett Brown. Get your copy of The Unsold Mindset as soon as you can. Run out and get it. Go to Amazon, go to your favorite bookstore, go get it. It should be on your desk and you should be reading it. This and every program is brought to you by our friends at RelPro and Vertical IQ. So join us next time for more special guests bringing you marketing, sales, and leadership insights, as well as some ideas that will provide your bank or credit union that competitive edge that you need to succeed in 2023. This LinkedIn Live show is also a podcast, so subscribe to get the latest episodes of Jack Rants with Modern Bankers podcast. Don't forget to leave us a review. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and others. Don't forget also to visit our website, themodernbanker.com, for more information and Really, really set, consider this. Sign up for our public library at themodernbanker.com slash public library. Past speeches, podcast replays, webinar replays, ebooks, articles, all kinds of great resources for you bankers to help you get better at social selling and other things. And as I say at the end of every show, make today and every day a great client day.